History happened everywhere. The verdict. This is our after show podcast where we look back at the most recent episode, number 71, Wood in the Star Wars Galaxy during the High Republic. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and check it out or else you will find spoilers ahead. May the 5th is my aunt's birthday. Hello, my name is Pete Goddard and I'm here in the HHE studio with the Padawan to my Jedi. It's Mr. Ryan Weir. That's right, Master. <laughs> Sorry, I like that. <laughs> I enjoyed that too much almost. It's when I start calling you Daddy, that's the real problem. <laughs> <laughs> And if you can feel a disturbance in the force, it's because we're also joined, as ever, by the dreadful Darth Dursley. <laughs> um, I've never been called Darth before. <laughs> Get used to it. It's just so fitting. I might keep it. Now, Ryan, I've been Jedi mind-tricked and I've forgotten everything about the last episode. So would you mind reminding me in just 60 seconds or so? Yes, I can, Peter. When would you like me to do that? Oh, Now! So for episode 71, we travel back in time to a galaxy far, far away to discover all things wood-related. We sanded down the knotty subject of complicated timelines and witnessed how wood is rooted throughout the galaxy, despite not being a common material. We met Buriaga Agaburi, the Jedi Wookiee whose homeworld of Kashyyyk was famous for their wooden cities and wooden weapons. We leafed through novels to find the monstrous plant-based meat-eating horrors called the Drengir, and we shaved the best for last with an interview with comic book letterer Jake M. Wood, whose work on the Star Wars High Republic Adventures comic book series brought us the best view of Wood in the Star Wars galaxy during the time of the High Republic. There was blue milk, terrible impressions, and a series of less than subtle digs at the sequel movies. week's episode done summarized nicely nice one son now we're over to a young dursley who's gonna tell you what he thought of me he'll take you apart without any care he's the lovely paul dursley the lovely paul dursley Ah, uh, yes, thank you, Ryan. It's all coming back. You, I remember Buriaga Agabari, the Benedict Cumberbatch of the Jedi. <laughs> Why was he the Benedict Cumberbatch? Well, because you could put anything in, couldn't you? Cook a burger, dingleberry, you know? <laughs> anything will work. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> Now, of course, my opinion is absolute stardust, if you will. But uh, the, the person who really counts here is Darth Dursley. Darth, what did you think? Let us wait until the end. Oh, my. Now, we all know that this is not what might be phrased your cup of tea or indeed your glass of blue milk. But did you manage to engage with it at least about the universe as a sort of construct, as a fictional construct? Well, I, I, ha I have to admit, I almost fell asleep during that bit about, <laughs> you know, which stuff first age of this and the second age of that and it's all it's all very very Tolkien isn't it about that so I, I uh, put it like this I saw the first film in the cinema in 1977 and I think I mm -hmm. saw the second film in the cinema and that was as far as I got didn't even make it to round three <laughs> it's quite impressive that the story is as vast as it is I'd look at it from the other point of view. All these different things are just inconsistencies. Well, I wanted to pick up, actually, Ryan, on your point there about the, the detail, really, of that universe. So one of the things that struck me was when you talked about Yoda's walking stick, somebody had to think of, well, what kind of wood is this? And if I were making a universe, I'd be like, well, it's wood, isn't it? But the, de 
detail that they go to. And I actually found out a bit more about why why bother talking about this specific type of wood. And apparently, I learned, that Grandmaster Yoda doesn't only walk around hobbling on his stick, he also <laughs> has a little chew on his stick from time to time. He chews on it. Apparently, yes. And he can get nutrients <laughs> from his stick. And this is where it gets suspicious. Apparently, also, he chews to release a natural anaesthetic and it helps him meditate. It's not a bad idea, though, is it, really? I'm not against it. I'd buy one if it was in the shops, put it that way. <laughs> so I wonder, from doing my research, how much of the facts that you just told me is canon versus Legends timelines? Because I, a lot of my work I had to discard once I decided I was going to stick to canon. Well, I'm glad you raised that as well, Ryan, because I had a question about Gungi. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gungi the Wookiee. Gungi the Wookiee. To clarify, you said that there was only one Jedi Wookiee. No, I didn't say that. I said that he was a Jedi Wookiee. He's not High Republic Wookiee. Oh, I understand. Because, uh, well, uh, obviously, you know then that Gungi is marked out by being a, not just a Wookiee, but a Wookiee with a wooden lightsaber. Not the blade, obviously. <laughs> the, the handle of his lightsaber is made of wood from a brylark tree apparently that's right he did but he's not the only one with a wood hilted lightsaber and it sort of ties with jake and his comic book the high republic adventures in that series there is a character called torben buck he is a jedi master and he has a wood hilted lightsaber too he hails from the species known as the chagrians which are tall blue-skinned beings with large horns on top of their head and around their shoulders now in the comics his character is nicknamed Buckets of Blood, which is something that he embraces as he runs into combat, shouting in third person, here comes Buckets of Blood. <laughs> oh, well, if you've got to shout something, that's pretty good. Yeah, and apparently the nickname Buckets of Blood is traced back to the real-life experiences of comic book writer Daniel Jose Older, who worked as a paramedic before becoming a writer. Now, whilst working as a paramedic, he would often be on the radio, and there was another paramedic out there who, over the radio, would refer to himself in the third person as buckets of blood saying buckets of blood is on his way <laughs> but yeah as for his lightsaber it is a semi-curved wooden hilt how do you have a semi-curve a curve is a curve is a curve is a curve i think you said slight curve yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, it featured a slight curve. <laughs> a semicircle, a semi-ellipse, a semi-something, but you can't have a semi-curve. I regret saying it. <laughs> so there you go. Buckets of blood. You're not going to forget him in a hurry. I am not. Did you know that this original lightsaber was actually a, a flash from a camera? Really? Yes, the sort of the, the tube that they hold was like a professional camera flash that they used to have in the 60s and 70s. I think it recently sold for a stupid amount of money. They should have used an actual cannon. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been a very different story. <laughs> There is obviously a lot of sort of symbolism and tying in with the Nazis and all of those sort of things, with, certainly in the ones that I saw, I saw as a child, you know, with all the, with mm -hmm. all the uniforms. And the, although it seems that Peter Cushing, you never see his feet because he was wearing carpet slippers because he didn't like the boots that he had to wear. So you never, you never see the feet and the body together. It's a double. <laughs> it's stunt feet. <laughs> Nowadays, they just do deep feet. Deep fake feet. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine Dursley being on a film set and demanding to wear carpet slippers. I can imagine that. Very easily. I'm wearing yeah. carpet slippers at the moment. <laughs> yeah, of course you are. <laughs> 
they're they're made of velvet and they have a little lion on them. It's interesting you said about World War II. Uh, Lucas was actually inspired by the events of the Vietnam War. It's a bit of an anti-American statement, isn't it? I think it's un- there are unavoidable comparisons, though, aren't there? Especially the- because I think the Ewoks versus the Empire, you can see the guerrilla warfare, a small non-technological force against a great empire. But you'd have to be mad to not spot the, <laughs> the Nazi styling of the-, the Empire in the other movies, wouldn't you? Yes, the, the thing that yeah. came out of that, though, was-, was when you mentioned the Confederacy of Independent Systems, which was the breakup of a large oppressive empire, which... That's right, yeah. Which reminded me of the Commonwealth of Independent States that happened after the Soviet Union dissolved. Same initials. Yeah, I don't think that's by chance. Certainly he'd lived through that time and I think it probably stuck in his brain. Yes. Well, this is the thing with sci-fi, isn't it? It's, it has to say something about our world. If you if you did pure sci-fi and imagined a universe that was not at all like ours, it would be unwatchable, wouldn't it? <laughs> you, you wouldn't be able to yeah. tell a human story and it would be not very interesting. I'm afraid I have to disagree with you because the only science fiction I like is, I think it's called hard science fiction, mm-hmm. which is scientifically accurate. Interesting. So sort of 2001, that sort of thing. Yes, anything anything where people start travelling faster than the speed of light. But they are still human stories about human people, albeit human people in space, right? Yes, who always happen to speak English, which is very amazing. <laughs> Maybe it's very interesting that all the baddies speak with an English accent and all the goodies speak with an American accent, apart from Alec Guinness, who was the chief goodie, and Darth Vader, who was the chief baddie, although he was played by an Englishman, voiced by an American. Yeah, I have. Have you seen <laughs> that footage where he's like, you're a part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. <laughs> and action! Start tearing this ship apart piece by piece until you find those tapes. Find the passengers of this vessel. I want them alive! I don't know what you're talking about. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate on a diplomatic... You mission. are part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. Take her away. It always reminds you how skilled actors are, because when you're watching it, you think, well, acting must be easy because you're immersed in this world and you just pretend to be a young farmhand or whatever. But then you have to remember that what they're looking at is a massive crew of people, a camera, the back end of some plywood spaceships, and they still have to go, (gasps) that's amazing. (laughs) Yes. Well, on 2001, I think the voice of Hal was by about three different people. Uh, Kubrick just wasn't happy. Originally, it had an English accent, then it had an accent that was too American. And in the end, they went for a Canadian accent. You're saying that Stanley Kubrick was picky about something on his films? Yes, he was. Shock! (laughs) You heard it here first. How about that? So, Pete, you, you just mentioned there about the Ewoks and how they sort of symbolise that resistance, you know, working in their forest to sort of take down the evil, more technologically superior empire. And I wanted to talk more about Ewoks because obviously they live on a forest planet and we, we mentioned how they sort of live in little wooden villages and they have wooden tools and wooden weapons. I thought that would be perfect, but there's not much mentioned about them during the High Republic. But that didn't mean I didn't do some research on Ewoks just to see. And 
and they were certainly around during the High Republic, according to the canon timeline. They were sold as Ewok jerky in a <laughs> diner on a planet called Abafar. Ewok jerky. Oh, man. With a little yeah. picture of a nub-nub on the front. No. A little dehydrated Ewok snack. Yeah. So in 2001, LucasArts released Star Wars Galactic Battlegrounds. It's a video game where players can sort of experience the different various epic battles within the galaxy. Which are all exactly the same. <laughs> but amid the many characters you can play, there is a hidden character that you can unlock by entering a cheat code. And the cheat code is Simon Says. Now, once you've entered that phrase, a one metre tall, brown furred, black eyed Ewok appears on the screen. And this Ewok is called Simon. Now, <laughs> si- Simon the Ewok. <laughs> now, Simon the Ewok, right, uh, while appearing unassuming, is actually the most powerful character in the game, otherwise known as Simon the Killer Ewok. <laughs> He is <laughs> he is a formidable force. He wields a wooden staff weapon that fires energy bolts so devastating he can destroy droids, vehicles, buildings, and entire bases in a literal matter of seconds. <laughs> he can fire three projectiles per attack. He can detect enemies that using stealth. He can regenerate hit points and is immune to anything related to the force. He has an energy shield and he zips along at super fast speeds. <laughs> Basically, Simon the Killer Ewok is like the character to get if you just want to destroy anything and everything in that game. Simon the Killer Ewok. I love the idea of him just sort of toddling up and you're going, oh, isn't he cute? And then suddenly everything starts exploding. Oh, that's awesome. And that he's called Simon is only adding joy to my life. Yeah, I, if, if we can ever bring anything back from the Legends continuity, I'm hoping for Simon the Killer Ewok to appear in a movie at some point. But to go back to your point about the guerrilla war and Vietnam War and the Ewoks being a kind of guerrilla Vietnamese combatants, I read that George Lucas actually originally intended for it to be Wookiees that actually performed the role that the Ewoks do in the movie. But that by the time they got to that movie, they realised with Chewbacca, they'd established that Chewbacca is actually pretty comfortable with technology. He's a pilot, he fixes things, he's got that bowcaster. So he kind of had to reinvent the Wookiees into something different and he came up with the Ewoks. And I can't believe I hadn't noticed this before. It's Wookiee backwards. Oh, no way. It really is. Ewok. (laughs) So, yeah, that's what happened. They were supposed to be Wookiees and they became Ewoks. Smaller and cuter. I think that's a budget issue. I think he was told he had to cut the budget by half and he was like, all right, well, tall Wookiees or half the size Wookiees. Well, I I think there are fewer seven foot people in the world than dwarves. Put it like that. Now, Peter, did you enjoy Blue Milk? I did, actually. I was surprised to enjoy it, I must say. Paul, I would have loved to have sent you some Blue Milk, but uh, I don't think it would have kept in the post. (laughs) No. (laughs) And if I'd sent you the ingredients, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't have been bothered to make it. Yes. Yeah. But speaking of blue milk, in the original Star Wars movie, the bantha, which we said was where the milk comes from, is shown on screen and it is played by an Asian elephant called Margie. So, yeah, Margie was an actress and spent much of her life appearing in TV shows and movies. So she was in Lassie, Mr. Ed, the TV series Daktari and the Pet Set. Daktari? But that was set in Africa. How could you have an Asian elephant in Africa? 
Yeah, I don't think people in 1966 cared whether they were seeing an Asian or an African elephant in a TV show. I think it was just an elephant. But uh, she was in commercials for a car manufacturer, Opal, and Skippy Peanut Butter. She even won a Patsy, which is the Performing Animal Television Star of the Year Award in 1970 for uh, Best Individual Performance by an Animal Actor on TV. (laughs) Oh, man. That was for a show called The Boy Who Stole the Elephant. I get resentful when an animal Um, has a much, much better career than I do. (laughs) Well, get this. She's more talented than you too, Pete. Because in 1971, (laughs) animal trainers Carl Thompson and Bob Spiker, they taught Margie to water ski, (laughs) saying afterwards that she was one of the nicest elephants in the world. I think I've seen that, an elephant water skiing, so it must have been her. Yeah. So in 1976, George Lucas was filming in the deserts of Tunisia for Star Wars A New Hope, the original movie. But for one scene, he needed to show these banthers walking through the desert. So he planned on using a costumed elephant. But for various reasons, mostly that it would have cooked the elephant, uh, he wasn't (laughs) granted permission. In fact, the only place that would allow him to do it was in the United States. So he returned home and he got the blessings of the National Park Service to film in the sand dunes of Death Valley. And so during the winter, they borrowed Margie and they transported her out to the set where she was fitted up with the Bantha costume. And there's loads of pictures of her online getting all dressed up. She's the cutest thing in the world. Um, So there's like layers of fur all over her and there's lightweight horns on her head. But she was sort of unaccustomed to the heat of, you know, the desert. And so she was super uncomfortable. Apparently she spent much of the film time, including when the cameras were rolling, trying to remove her costume as much as she could. Diva. (laughs) Exactly. But according to her trainer, Bob Spiker, she actually enjoyed much of her time there on the set. And she most of all enjoyed the company of George Lucas himself. Apparently she stuck to him whenever she was on set. And Lucas said that he felt a deep connection to Margie and fell in love with her. According to some reports, after filming Wrapped, Lucas would then go and visit Margie on regular basis at the zoo. I know. And this might explain why Lucas then reused footage of Margie, specifically specifically the way that she walked as the reference for his animators who were making those giant four-legged all-terrain armored transports the atats in uh, the empire strikes back yeah yeah that they're all based on how margie walks oh miss me margie he was saying yeah. make me a margie he said to his animators <laughs> that's what he said so margie's final performance was in a show called elephantastic in 1989 and uh, after that she spent the rest of her life as an attraction at six flags until she got chronic bone inflammation and she was actually euthanized on the 20 26th of November 1995. Aww. But should you wish to commemorate Margie, there is a company in America called the Custom Candle Company, which sells an elephant-shaped candle called the Margie, which is made from all natural soy, has a citronella smell, and burns for around 120 hours. Keeps away the mosquitoes. And is it the size of an actual yeah. elephant if it's burning that long? <laughs> no, it just weighs four tons, so <laughs> bear that in mind with your delivery costs. All right, noted. Love you, Margie. Yeah, Margie. Now, Ryan, I have to say, what I thought was the tour de force of your episode was the introduction of Mr. Wood himself. I thought you were going to say my introduction. No, your introduction was full of your usual bedraggled puns. But Jake Wood was an (laughs) absolute find, I have to say. What a lovely guy. He was really lovely. It was really interesting to hear what he had to say and uh, think a bit bit about the art of the lettering particularly. It's interesting. You you think about the artist and you think even a colourist, I guess, but I've never really thought about the letterer. And I read a fair amount of comics. So I was really interested to hear what he had to say, and especially when he was 
talking about the efforts to make the words look the way they sound. And uh, it reminded me of something which I had to look up again, but there's a thing called the booba kiki effect. Oh, so yes. Normally we think of words as being just randomly assigned to things, right? But the booba kiki effect was first discovered in 1929 by a, a man called Wolfgang Kohler, where he showed people shapes and he gave them various options of words to assign to those shapes. And he found more than chance-like correlation between some of the shapes and some of the words that were assigned by the, the people to those shapes. A version of this experiment was run again in 2001 by, a, I think he's a neurologist by, called V.S. Ramachandran. Yes. And he repeated the experiment. He's had two shapes. One was this kind of rounded, bobbly, cloudy kind of shape, like a think bubble. And then there's a, a scratchy, angular, like a star kind of shape. And there was, these were two shapes that were presented to people. And they would be asked, which one of these is Kiki and which one is Booba? And they asked two sets of people, American undergraduates. And also they went to India and spoke to Tamil speakers. And across these two cultures, somewhere between 95 and 98% of people assigned the curvy shape, the name Booba, and the jaggy one, the name Kiki. So there's some sort of connection with sharp and scratchy stuff with sharp and scratchy sounding yeah. words. Yeah, so the, the the conclusion is that actually it's not arbitrary assignation of words to things, but actually there may be some fundamental aspect of them that inspire those words. Obviously, not in detail. You can't look at a lion and go, lion. But uh, <laughs> certainly there are some things, some basic properties that translate into the words. Well, it's a form of synesthesia, isn't it? Exactly. So how does that relate to Jake and his work? Well, Jake was talking about how he, if you're speaking an animated way, he makes the, the words fire vertically, out, the horizontally out of the mouth or sometimes break out of the speech bubble. And the, just the way he has to use lettering to imply sound. I see what you mean. OK, so just by you reading the words, you can gather a tone or an intonation by that. Exactly. So if I, I would imagine if he had a kerrang noise of metal rending, he wouldn't do mm. it in that bubble letter that you get. You wouldn't get it in Comic Sans, would you? Well, yeah, ironically, I guess he's one of the few people in the world who professionally can use Comic Sans without getting flack for it. <laughs> that, that reminds me, you might be surprised that I used to look at, not comics, I used to look at the Tintin books. You're right, that does surprise me. It's quite interesting because people have said that the Tintin books in English are much funnier than they are in French. Oh, really? Is and that right? a lot of that was to do with the speech bubbles. Yeah, how so? Because the speech bubbles were sized for the French words that went in them. Mm. But of course, generally, English uses fewer letters. So they were, they were having to sort of plump up the words to fill the text bubbles to, you know, to keep the translation. <laughs> but because they couldn't change the images, all they did was you know, rubbed out the French and wrote in the English. Oh, I see. So you start getting more flowery language. Yes. So you were sort of getting... A thousand thundering typhoons. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, that's kind of cool. But yeah, it's, it, it sounds like it's sort of, oh, you're just writing letters, but it's not actually. It's quite a lot of science and getting letters to fit. I have to say thank you to Jake, though. That, that was really good extra insight into a world that you don't often think about. It's true. It may have saved your bacon. Ooh, that's good. In the past week, I'm sad to say that it's been in the news that IDW, the publishing company which produced the comic book series, has actually let go of two-fifths of its staff. So, um, yeah, just a note to Jake and his colleagues to wish them all the best in some tough times in the comic book world. Yeah, good luck, guys. Everyone else, go out, buy comics, support the industry. Read proper books. Big adult books. <laughs> 
that wonderful, weird, woody goodness, Ryan, we've come to the end of the line and it's time to step into the dock and prepare to face the people's judge. Okay. Darth Dursley, are you ready to give your verdict? <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's been force choked by facts. <laughs> force choked by fun. Stop waterboarding me. Your Honour, as usual, can we start proceedings by first asking for your verdict on factual content? <sighs> well, I'm afraid... It's all lies. <laughs> Love the way he refers to fiction as lies. <laughs> it's not a fact, so I'm afraid I can't give you a very good score for this. I'll give you... D. Oh, oh dear. I had a bad feeling about this. <laughs> well, that's okay, because we're going to make it up with this one. Your Honour, what is your grade for entertainment value? I'm going to be honest and say I was more entertained than I thought I would be. <gasps> Ooh. Apart from the bit in the middle about the Third Republic and the Second Empire, which sounds a bit like France in the 19th century, um, it was moderately interesting. All right, I'll take moderately interesting from somebody who hates fantasy. <laughs> I, yeah, but you weren't sort of playing up the fantasy side, so I will give you for that... C plus. C plus, better than expected. And so to the final one, help me Dursley Factor, you're my only hope. <laughs> what is your grade for Dursley Factor? You might be surprised, but because I had very low expectations of this run, I'm sorry, but that was a fact. Yeah. You were at, you actually bettered them. So you may be surprised. I will give you B minus. Ow! Hooray! Nice! My grades well are getting better. Done. You know what that means. Okay. Next one's going to be an A. Almost certainly. But let's find out. So we've reached the final verdict. Now, before the judge passes his ruling, Ryan, you have an opportunity to enter a plea. If you choose to do so, Ryan, please make that plea now. Uh, no, I think it stands for itself. And uh, I hope that people enjoyed it. I know I, I did, so I'm sure many other people did as well. Your Honour, the defendant stands before you. Have you reached your verdict? Yes, I have. Hey, In that case, hey, hey, hey. I would ask... <laughs> you don't spoil it, Ryan. In that case, I would ask most respectfully for your ruling, Your Honour. Well, I am caught on this one. I am going to give you... B minus. That's a cracking grade for a Star Wars episode. That's basically an A in real money. That's amazing. <laughs> thank you. That's incredible. Thank you, How Darth. do you feel? Anything you'd like to say, Ryan? Yeah, thank you, Darth. I really appreciate that. You've uh, <laughs> you've cheered me right up. You know what? <laughs> I, I came in with a new hope and I've left with a rise of my Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you get wood? Yeah, that was where I was going and I changed it to Skywalker. <laughs> Uh, 
Okay, that is our show for this week. If you, the audience, would like to get in touch about any of the things we've talked about on the show or just to say hello, do please reach out to us on social media through our website at hhepodcast.com or you can email us at Pete and Ryan at hhepodcast.com. That's right, we'd love to hear from you and you never know, you might end up featured on a future show. And one way to definitely do that is to rate and review the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you recommend us there, it really helps bring us over to new listeners. That's right. Now, if you're on Mastodon, Facebook, Instagram or Twitter, you can find us at HHE Podcast. And if you subscribe to those, you're going to get an alert every time we post any trivia tidbits, news, facts, figures, photos. You want it, we post it. And we'll be back again soon with our next episode, 72, Cutting Corners in Cape Verde in 1990 to 1995. But in the meantime, a huge thank you to the judge himself. Thank you, Paul. If I knew Star Wars, I'd insert an appropriate epithet here, but I don't, so I won't. (laughs) So I guess that's it. All that's left to say is... You've been listening to So you mentioned the universe consists of everything mm. and then you said the observable universe which of course is everything that we can see and of course we are at the center of the observable universe knew it but everybody wherever they are is at the center of the observable universe now i don't feel special at all if you put spots on a balloon and blow the balloon up if you think of any spot the universe is expanding away from you and on any spot that was actually one of the questions i was asked at my interview for oxford they asked you to blow up a balloon (laughs) i thought they'd be harder than that (laughs) that's clown school (laughs) they said make a dog out of this they said (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that would really throw them though wouldn't it if you first went to Oxford interview and they just handed you a bunch of balloons and go make an animal out of that you'd be like oh, this was not what I prepped for <laughs> I just think it's really tough blowing up a balloon with a big red nose on surely that gets in the way that's why they use the long thin ones <laughs> if you do not wish to hear about the observable universe I shall shut up please I've told you before, it's tit bits, not tidbits.